Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 154 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be talking about the change in the weather. Typical Brit, eh? This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that in the remaining episodes this season, we've got a discussion on broken chargers, EV conversions, the charging situation in Northern Ireland, and we'll be finishing up with our round table episode. Our main topic of discussion today is the weather. Cast your mind back to the summer. Balmy days, long stretches of warm weather, often record-breaking heat, sun that started early in the morning and lasted well into the evening. You probably noticed when you started your EV that the little instrument that showed you your remaining range had quite a pleasant value on it when your battery was full. The commute to work would probably reveal considerably more miles than maybe you were led to believe you would have had in your electric vehicle. I know of Kia e-Nero owners regularly showing more than 300 miles of range in their 64 kilowatt hour models. Hyundai Ionic owners showing 200 miles plus. My old Kia Soul would hit 135 or 140 miles in the right conditions, enough to get me to my parents with just a single charge. Oh, the halcyon days of summer. But those days are long gone. The nights are drawing in, the temperatures are dropping, and the sunlight seems to be something of a relatively rare occurrence nowadays. But the other thing that's happening is that mysteriously, your electric vehicle isn't travelling as far as it used to. Whereas you used to see 300 miles on the GOM, the guessometer that estimates the remaining distance you can travel on a given charge, as the year has gone on, that value has dropped and it's now down to 240 miles. I mean, seriously? Seriously. What's even more serious is the fact that once you get into your car and switch it on, you'll find that immediately drops a few more miles, or quite a few more miles, depending on what car you've got. That's because it's cold inside the car and you turn the heating on, didn't you? So this lovely electric vehicle that used to do 300 miles in July is now barely getting 210 miles in January. What's that all about? Well, there's many reasons for this, and that's what we're going to be covering in today's show. Your EV and cold weather. The first thing to remind people of is the fact that most modern-day EV batteries have a liquid section between the anode and the cathode. This liquid's very sensitive to changes in heat. More particularly, it's very sensitive to cold. Now, I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. When I lived and worked on the European continent, I drove to work one day and got into the office with my uh, compact laptop computer. A huge white thing that was more luggable than portable. I flipped the lid, switched it on, and nothing. It was fully charged, but it just barely pushed out enough power to illuminate the screen. I took it to the resident computer guru who looked at it and said, Did you leave it in your car overnight? I told him I had, and he put it on top of a heat source for 10 minutes. Then I opened it, flipped the switch, and voila, it worked. What had happened in the meantime was the electrolyte, that's the liquid that forms the part of the conductive path between the anode and the cathode, the positive and negative terminal, it had warmed up and it had become more ready to accept electrons. Because I had left the computer overnight in my car, the temperature had dropped and the electrolyte had almost frozen. And this had caused the battery to put out a greatly reduced power. So 
That's what happens when you leave your car parked overnight in the cold and then switch it on first thing in the morning. The battery's not putting out as high a level of voltage. And as the voltage relates to the power and the power relates to the charge, the remaining charge drops. So an EV that might do 300 miles under optimal warm conditions might do far less than that under cold conditions. But that's just one of the problems that can bedevil an electric car in the cold. Remember when you drove a thermic car? You'd switch the engine on and after it'd been running a few minutes, you turn the heating on, lots of nice warm air flowed out, heating the cabin, defrosting the windows, warming your hands. While that was a nice thing to have, it's worth remembering that thermic cars don't have a separate heater unit. All they have is a device which uses the latent heat from the engine to warm the outside air before blowing it in through the vents. The only reason it can do that is because an internal combustion engine is incredibly inefficient and a lot of the energy embedded in fossil fuels is turned into heat when the fuel is ignited. Heat cannot drive the engine forward. All it does is warm up the vehicle. The plus side is that this warmth can be leveraged to heat the cabin. Naturally, you don't have any of that in an electric vehicle. Any heat you want in the car has to be created from the battery. And there are two ways to do that in an electric vehicle. The first is with a resistive heater. The second is with a heat pump. Now, many people don't know whether they have a heat pump or a resistive heater in their car. The easiest way to find out is to switch the heating on and watch the GOM reading for remaining miles. If it drops by a, a smallish number, say four, six, something like that, you've probably got a heat pump. If it drops by more than that, 20, 20 plus, you've got a resistive heater. But why is that? Well, think of a resistive heater as one of those one bar fires your grandmother used to have in the front room. She switched it on and after a moment or two, the bar started to glow red and warmth started to emanate from it. The heat was coming from the fact that you're pushing a high current through the wire loops that form the bar and the resistance in the wire was causing heat. With a resistive heater in your EV, that's more or less the same thing that's happening to heat your interior. But the problem with this is that it takes quite a lot of energy to make that little bar glow red. That energy comes from the traction battery, and that means the traction battery has less energy left to push the car forward. So your range drops by a lot. A heat pump works in a different way. If your car has a heat pump, it still takes power from the traction battery, but nowhere near as much. The best analogy for a heat pump was one I heard on Twitter recently. It referred to an air source heat pump in a house, but the principle is the same in this case. Think of a heat pump as a little elf that gathers all the residual heat in the outside air, squashes it down into a bucket, and when the bucket's full, it pours the accumulated heat into the room, or in this case, the vehicle, and then it goes back out and it gathers some more. Every now and again, it eats electricity to keep its energy levels up. Now that's a very simplified analogy, but it's quite effective. The heat pump scavenges heat from the air in tiny amounts and pumps it into the car. The pump pulls some power from the traction battery and this drops the range. But because the heat pump isn't using the battery to actually create heat, like the resistive heater, the amount of energy it pulls from the traction battery is much smaller. My Kia Soul had a heat pump and turning the heater on in the car would drop my GOM by about four miles. My VW ID3 doesn't have a heat pump and turning the resistive heater on drops the range by about 20 miles. The relative difference is approximately a 4% decrease versus a 10% decrease. Because the range of my ID3 is 200 miles in just about any weather, 
I don't mind losing 10% to the heater. If I was still running the Kia Soul and losing 10% range on a 105-mile winter GOM reading, I'd be a lot more concerned. There are many drivers on the road who are in similar situations with early Nissan Leafs and BMW i3s where the heat pump option wasn't specced in. Now, the next thing you'll find with EVs is that when the weather gets nasty, some of the fancy gadgets you might have on your car will stop working. Things like adaptive cruise control, self-dipping headlights, auto-braking, basically anything that needs a sensor to activate. And this is particularly relevant if you hit snowy weather. Anyone who's watched Tesla Bjorn videos where he's traveling long distances in winter will be aware that cruise control and other functions regularly stop working because he gets a thick layer of caked on ice over the top of the sensors. And this invalidates the sensors and stops the systems working. Now, I know this sounds like something of a first world problem, but if you, like me, have become used to driving everywhere with lane keeping assist and adaptive cruise control on, having to revert back to the old-fashioned driving might be a bit of a shock. Oh, those EVs, I hear you cry. They're useless. All these things that reduce the range. I never had these issues in my diesel car. Well, well, actually, you did. You see, the difference is you didn't actually realise it. I had a colleague I worked with for several years, and he used to log every gallon of fuel he added to his car in a huge spreadsheet. And from there, he would graph the fuel economy of his vehicle. And when he plotted the fuel economy per tank over a multi-year timescale, it was very, very obvious when it was winter and when it was summer. In summer, he'd get yeah, 300 miles to a tank of fuel. And in winter, that would be closer to 220 miles. The graph had definite peaks and troughs that corresponded to the outside temperature. And the difference with most fossil fuel cars is that you don't have a big display in the dashboard telling you how many miles you have left. You just have a little needle creeping slowly or quickly down to empty on the fuel gauge. We talked about idling with your engine on earlier to heat up the cabin and defrost the windows. That uses fuel and it reduces your miles per gallon. Running the car in cold weather reduces engine efficiency and causes lower miles per gallon. Doing short distances in cold weather and stopping before the engine has reached optimum temperature causes reduced efficiency and increased wear and tear on your engine. In some places, cold enough weather will actually solidify diesel and engine oil, which is why, ironically, places like Minneapolis, Minnesota, have plug-in heaters at car parks to keep the engine and fuel tank warm during cold overnight temperatures. So how do we stop these happening in an EV? Well, the short answer is you can't. The longer answer is there are ways around this. Let's start with getting warm in the car. If you have a home charger or if you have access to charging overnight through services such as CoCharger, Just Charge or ZapMap Home, most EVs will allow you to set preconditioning for the battery and the car. What this does is it allows you to warm the car before you get into it. This can usually be done through a timer in the car's interface or via an associated app if the car has one. The beauty of doing this is that it uses the energy pull from the charger to do this rather than using the power in the traction battery. This means you get into a car that's both warm and defrosted and the GOM hasn't taken a hit to warm it up. Once inside the car, the optimal step to take is to switch on the heated seats and the heated steering wheel. This provides personal warmth for the driver and front seat passenger without actually using the traction battery to warm the rest of the car. Now, obviously, this requires that you actually have heated seats and a heated steering wheel in the car to begin with. I drove cars for over 30 years and never had either of those. But since getting an EV almost five years ago, I can honestly say I'll never go back to one without. But many of the newer, cheaper EVs being sold either don't have these functions, or if they do have them, add them on as costly options or at a higher spec level. 
This means that you could find yourself in an EV that doesn't have heated seats, which is actually reasonably rare, or it doesn't have a heated steering wheel, which is quite common. When specifying your EV, it's always worth thinking about things like this. If there's an option of a heated steering wheel and heated seats, take it. If there's an option of a heat pump, take it. Ultimately, your winter warmth will be guaranteed with a minimal hit on your range. As far as items such as sensors not working, the easiest solution is to keep the car clean. I know that's not a popular decision when it's below freeze, nor when the snow's falling faster than you can clear it from your driveway. But these sensors need to be cleared to provide the amount of control and monitoring that's needed for things like adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist to work correctly. You'll find that in some higher end EVs, the radar sensor is hidden in the front bumper. And if you pay enough, or if the manufacturers think about this thoroughly enough, the car will have a heater behind the sensor that can clear any snow or ice from the front. It won't remove dirt, grime or road salt, so you might still need to give it a quick wash. A lot of the distance sensors are also in the unit that sits behind the rear view mirror and attaches to the windscreen. Keeping these clear might just be a case of wiping the glass in front of that area to remove anything that might be obstructing the view. Sometimes though, especially if you're buying a used EV, you won't have an opportunity to specify the options such as a heated steering wheel or seats. And that's okay. If you've got a larger battery, the range drop will probably be acceptable. If it isn't, there's always the good old-fashioned hypermiling to try and extend your range. Accelerate slowly, brake early, use regen, and keep your top speed at around 60 miles an hour on A-roads and motorways. Slower if possible. And much as I hate to add this in as an option, the final resort is to make sure you wrap up warm. Take gloves, a scarf, and a jacket. Wear these or a blanket on the knees and lower legs. This means you don't need to keep the heating on and you can go further than you would have otherwise. The problem with this is that it seems like something of a icky solution. We shouldn't have to compensate for poor EV design by reverting back to our basic lizard brain state. New heat, put on animal fur. It just seems wrong. Thankfully, as the average range of new EVs increases, this is something we'll have to suffer less and less. Obviously, this will filter down eventually to the second-hand market as well. So what if you're riding an electric motorbike? Well, I asked Sean from Dorset EVs, an MG ZS EV and electric motorbike owner, about the sort of impact winter has on a motorbike. And he says that range does decrease on a bike. It might be 20%, depending on the temperature. Obviously, as with a car, wet roads increase consumption through increased rolling resistance on the tyres. And generally, on a motorbike, it's up to your clothing to keep you warm. But not always. Here's a few options. You can get heated grips. These are 12 volt factory fitted or as an add-on accessory. They're rated at somewhere around 30 watts per grip, so that's 60 watts total consumption. The actual consumption obviously depends on which heat setting is selected, but overall it's negligible compared to how much uh, energy the motor is consuming. Somewhat similar to a heated seat or a steering wheel in a car. You could also get heated gloves or inner gloves. There are two different types of these, 12 volt wired, which are connected to the 12 volt accessory socket in the loom or powered by a separate battery in each glove. The 12 volt wired versions seem to be no worse in terms of consumption than heated grips. Uh, the battery powered versions will give you about four hours of heat before they need recharging. You can also get heated clothing, things such as heated gilets or heated socks and insoles. And these tend to have their own batteries, but you can get ones that are linked to a 12 volt connection on the bike. They're probably something of a must have if you're doing high mileage on a bike in the winter. Remember, because it's winter, wear warm, waterproof, motorcycle-proof clothing, gloves, and boots. 
Now, obviously, the downside to this is that the rider is now a little bit like the Michelin man and providing a bigger air brake uh, than he or she was in summer kit. So your consumption will also increase as a result of that. So that's a scoop when it comes to motorcycles in the cold. Going back to cars, though, it goes without saying that everyone should make sure they have sufficient antifreeze in the screen wash as the temperature drops. This will keep the windscreen clear without needing to use the heater to do that. It has to be said, though, that a lot of the issues I've discussed here today are more obvious in some of the older cars on the market, the cars with the relatively low range, the poor specs, the smaller batteries. Getting into a 24-kilowatt-hour Nissan Leaf, switching on the heater and seeing the range plummet can be a bit depressing. But as more and more newer electric vehicles come onto the market and make their way onto the second-hand market, you'll find that even without a heat pump, the drop in range when you turn the heating on is going to probably be acceptable. Ironically, this is one instance where the internal combustion engine car doesn't have the same issue as an electric vehicle. In most other situations, headwinds, poor road services, hills, etc., the range drop in an internal combustion engine car is similar to what it is in an electric vehicle. But with heating, you don't lose any more range in an ice car by switching the heating on. Air conditioning, yes. Normal heating, no. The reason is that the ice cars are already running so inefficiently, it's throwing out wasted heat that can be used to warm the car. The more efficient electric motor isn't creating anywhere near the same level of heat, so any attempt to create heat via a resistive heater or an air pump will have an adverse effect on the range. Go ice cars! Yay! <laughs> One final thing to remember when driving in snow or on ice. When you had your old internal combustion engine car, if you wanted to stop the wheels from spinning on snow or ice, the easiest thing to do was to pull away in second gear or even third. Didn't do your clutch a lot of good, but it meant the torque was a lot lower and it reduced wheel spin. Well, if your electric vehicle has an eco mode, which it probably does, switching to that will approximate the same thing. It remaps the engine to reduce power and make the car more efficient. As a result, it reduces wheel spin and makes pulling away on snowy or icy surfaces a little easier. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. In what BMW is calling a first for the automotive industry, the Neue Klasse of electric vehicles set to launch in 2025 will feature plastic parts made from 30% recycled fishing nets and ropes, resulting in trim pieces with a 25% smaller carbon footprint than parts made from conventionally manufactured plastics. In terms of reducing ocean plastics, recycling commercial fishing ropes is a huge deal. How huge? At least 46% of the Great Pacific garbage patch is commercial fishing nets, which multiply themselves by catching other debris. Creating a market for used commercial fishing nets and ropes then could seriously deter the habit of cutting the ropes and leaving them to drift in the ocean when they get tangles. As a raw material, these nets can be proactively sourced at virtually any major port across the world, and measures like these by BMW could ensure that it doesn't end up as sea trash. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. 
Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've got Renewable, is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZV with the words, mmm, preheating on a cold morning. Hashtag, if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's often to be seen walking the hills and dales of the British countryside, wondering whether he prefers the balmy spring days, the cooler fresh autumn days, the bitter but clear winter days, or his favourite, oh, the halcyon days of summer. Thanks for listening. Bye.